BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Friend of a Friend. It's your host, Olivia Perez. Happy Monday. I hope you are all doing as well as you possibly can and feeling as good as you can for the week ahead. Just some housekeeping notes before we get the show started. We've been releasing a mini-series called Call Your Friends, where I call some of my closest friends around the world and check in on them during the coronavirus. It comes out every single Thursday and has provided me so much comfort during this really confusing time, and I hope it does for you as well. Our Monday interview shows will continue on, which is where you are right now, so thanks so much for joining us. I am so excited to welcome this week's guest, Cindy Ramirez. She's the founder and CEO of Chill House, a first-of-its-kind destination for modern self-care, offering facials, infrared therapy, massages, nail and pedicure services alongside a wellness cafe. After being frustrated with the lack of enjoyable and affordable spa options in New York City, she opened her first destination in the Lower East Side in 2017. Chill House has quickly become a go-to reprieve for New Yorkers in the midst of the city's craziness and is now expanded to a second flagship location in Soho, a clean beauty e-commerce platform and a wellness publication called The Chill Times. In this episode, Cindy and I talk about redefining and democratizing self-care, how she transitioned from nightlife to owning one of the coolest spa empires in New York City, and where she sees hospitality going in the time of coronavirus. Here's my friend, Cindy Ramirez. How are you feeling today? You are pregnant. You're quarantined. I feel like there are probably a lot of emotions for you right now. So the pregnancy has actually been like the least of my stresses and worries, which is kind of crazy to say. So like before this, I've always been the kind of person that like needs to be out. I need to go out to dinners like constantly. I need to be moving and shaking and seeing people and like hanging out with friends. And like pregnancy has actually prepared me for quarantine more than I could have. Like it couldn't be better timing in some I love that. way. So actually pregnancy, if anything, has been like, the thing that's been keeping me most at peace, which thank God. And now, you know, I I have a few months, I have a couple months, I'm due end of July. So now is around the time that I really have to start kind of like putting a lot of these things into motion, like thinking about what we're getting, thinking about our nursery, thinking about, you know, the birth in general, because I hadn't thought about it really all that much until now. I plan on quarantining, you know, as best as I can for as long as I can, you know, just because like, yeah, that's just going to be my life. Like I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to probably be like stuck at home 
a lot. So. If it gives you any consolation, my boyfriend's sister just had a baby. And as this has all happened, she we've been obviously talking and she's like, you know, my life hasn't really changed that much. Like, this is exactly what I would be doing anyways. So as a new mom, like it's not as scary as I think a lot of people are painting it to be. For people just tuning in, I am talking with Cindy Ramirez today. She's the founder and CEO of Chill House and a very old friend of mine. She's one of the first people that I worked with and met when I lived in New York, and I'm so excited to have her on the show today. So I always like to start the show with asking where you are from and where you live now, even though she just said she lives in New York, but where are you from? (laughs) I'm born and raised in New York. I'm a Queens girl. Through and through. Through and through. New Yorker. Born and raised in Queens, moved to Manhattan pretty early on. So I consider myself from both boroughs. And yeah, right now I'm actually quarantining down in Orlando with my father-in-law. We'll be back in New York soon. I really miss it. What did you study in school? I went to LIM. LIM is a fashion school in, in Manhattan. And I studied fashion marketing. My school situation is very complicated. I quit twice. I dropped out twice. I never got my degree. And I never really ended up in fashion. So not a total waste of time, though. It was actually a really experience, but it just wasn't for me at the end of the day. I don't think school's for a lot of people, especially today where we have like unlimited resources and so many things around us. It's always interesting to see people's even opinion on school and how much it's changed in the past 10 years. Absolutely. And like, it'll be interesting to see what happens to education, like from now on too. just seeing I mean, parents, I'm sure, aren't like loving the whole homeschool thing because, you know, everything kind of comes back into place after this with education. Yeah, I think also just the way that kids are impacted by even like what it means to be home from school for a year. What did you want to do as a kid? So I actually was an actor and model very, very early on. I started when I was like 10 or 11 as a model. And then I kind of, you know, made my way into some commercial print stuff and then some auditions for TV and film and, and soap operas and things of that nature. It was, it was fun. And it was more so like, I just knew I always wanted to have some sort of, I wanted to be create in some creative field in some capacity. I didn't really know what that meant or what that looked like for me. And then I fell in love with fashion. I was like a very, you know, big shopper at an early age. My mom was like, we'd bond over going to Saks and things like that, you know, fun mother, daughter, little activities and I think that kind of spurred this curiosity of fashion in me and which is why I went to school to LAM from there I like didn't really know I ended up falling into the nightlife scene for a long time in New York which you know to me is still one of the best experiences of my life because it trained me to have good people skills it trained me to be you know really understanding of hospitality as a whole and what that means to be a consumer and what it means to be, you know, somebody that's in the service industry helping that consumer. For me, ending up in that industry has been one of the most life-changing experiences of all the things that I've done and really has kind of positioned me in the place where I am now. But I didn't know that I wanted to be like a bartender for like eight years, you know, I just kind of ended up in that position. And for me, it actually was quite lucrative too. I enjoyed, I got a rush off of, you know, making quick cash every night. And then eventually it got old. You know, I think eventually, you know, the hours got old, the drinking, the partying, all that got old. And I, it was like time to grow up. My grow up phase was like around 26, I want to say. <laughs> was bartending your first job? No, my first job was aside from acting and modeling, which I guess doesn't count as like a typical real job. 
I was like a, I don't know, a receptionist at a tanning salon. I want to say was my first job. But I see like a common thread of self-care in some way through your upbringing. How, I mean, so your mom has had her own spa herself for over 30 Mm -hmm. years, right? She's an esthetician as well. So it feels like entrepreneurship and self-care runs in your family a lot. Definitely would say that. My mom has been an esthetician her whole life. So she came here from Columbia and she started off with like a tiny little room within an existing, you know, suite or something on like the second floor in Jackson Heights. She like rented from someone else and just started with like one bed, one client at a time, through it slowly but surely. At one point she had like three different locations. So she's gone through, you know, she's shown me all the the ways of entrepreneurialism, how to start very, very small and how to scale up and how to like get to a place of success and then how to how also like everything could be ripped out from underneath you. You know, she's hit some really, really rough patches. I think it's really hard for immigrant uh, parents and people that are older that like never really adjusted to technology and the new kind of like applications of systems out there and all this different stuff like she was never able to quite acclimate. I'm very grateful that she has something but you know even right now she's affected and so it's very interesting to be in a very similar place as my mom (laughs) where like very different businesses similar so different but like going through the same thing. So you and I first met because if you remember you were doing Taste the Style and you had a shoot And you had reached out to me and brought me on for the shoot. And that's how we first met. It was like the best way to connect with people. And like, you know, you do it now, your version of it now. And it's like, I wanted to meet as many people as possible that I found interesting. And I had this platform called Taste of Style where it facilitated all of those relationships. I was like, I want to be friends with this person, this person, this person. Let me reach out. And then I interviewed them and they were featured on the site. So yeah, that's how we met. It was such an amazing site, but I have always thought about this because you had such a strong digital presence and it was so amazing. You would review food, there were style tips, it was a little bit of everything. But then what was the moment that you were like, okay, I have this digital mini empire and now I'm ready to build a physical space? I think going back to hospitality and how I had always been in this kind of more physical realm of seeing people and interacting in person, like kind of what we were talking about, how you miss that interviewing people in person, right? I miss being in the trenches. I miss doing more tangible things, you know, like putting something together from scratch, building something like, I don't know, I just miss that whole experience that I feel like I got even being in the vicinity of all these entrepreneurs in hospitality, not being one of them, but like, I'd always been in close contact to this this idea of building businesses, you know, even with my mom, a lot of the bars that I worked at, I was like their first employee. So I got to experience the the build out phase and and the opening phase and all that. And like, I just really missed it. My husband, you know, he had opened up by then, I think, two to three bars before Chill House opened. I think two. I, I can't, I'm losing track because we had one in Jersey City that we sold. And, you know, that was such a great time period for us, like seeing what can manifest from a business plan and opening up spaces. That was just so cool. And like those were bars and those were his. And I definitely felt like I was a part of it, but it didn't feel like they were mine. At what point I think I got jealous and I was like, I want something that I feel like is mine, like something that I created, but I didn't want to force it, you know, but it was just a feeling I had and it like stuck with me. And then, you know, it was like one day we had, I had this like light bulb thing go off. Um, Adam was with me and we both kind of like talked back and forth about what this was and realized that this was it. This was like my thing, you know, it like made sense for me to run it, for me to really roll with it and to bring this to life. So that's what Chill House 
is, is really like this culmination of what I really needed to feel fulfilled, but then also what I felt was needed out there in the world. So for people who are listening and don't know, Cindy and her husband own a hospitality group called Den Hospitality. They own bars like the Garrett East and West, which shout out, miss them so much. Those were my like very, I have very fond college memories at both of those bars and Chill House and Borachito, right? Borachito, yeah. Den Hospitality is mainly just the bars in Borachito and Borachito and Chill House is kind of just like a sister company that some of the partners that are involved in the bars are also involved in Chill House. But we... You know, we're a family. It doesn't, it's a a complicated system. But yes, theoretically, we're all part of the same family. So I remember when you first came up with the idea for Chill House and you had, we had been talking about it, but I'd love to, for you to share that story a little bit, where the concept came from and why you think it was set apart from any other hospitality spa situation that existed in New York. Yeah, nothing had really existed like this before because, I mean, I was looking for it, right? It, It really came from this need and this void that I had as a New Yorker growing up here. Well, not here. I'm not there now. (laughs) Growing up there and feeling like I wasn't, I never really found a a space that checked off all these boxes that I was looking for. Like I, if I was stressed out and I wanted a massage, it was either this ad, I was confronted with this decision of like going to this kind of like low end, you know, semi-seedy establishment or a very high-end establishment. There wasn't really anything in the middle. So that was like the first indicator of something that was missing in the space. And then the second one was just that I noticed that there were a lot of hospitality, like F&B elements happening with grooming for men. Like there's Wine Barber, there was like Three Seed Espresso, which I don't think exists anymore. There was a lot of grooming meets like beverages and, and like taking care of someone from like a hospitality standpoint when it comes to food and beverage within that space. And there wasn't anything like that for for spas or nail salons or anything like that, which I found a little interesting. I was like, hmm. so it was a culmination of all these things that we kind of discussed. Like there wasn't a spa or a place to get a massage that was like affordable to us or like met the price point that felt, you know, comfortable kind of indulging in regularly. There wasn't a place that I can go get a, a matcha before I got my nails done. And there wasn't a place that I actually enjoyed getting my nails done regularly where I felt like it was like aspirational you know and that I can really like hang there for a while right I always felt like it was like an in and out sort of activity so these four these three things came together and then the brand just started evolving my favorite part of like the podcast really is when I talk to entrepreneurs or founders about like what the process is of starting a company and I feel like there's always a moment in like your creative ideation where it goes from like idea to real life and there's always like something that allowed you to be like okay we can really do this let's go what was that moment for you for us I think it was maybe just looking at the spaces and seeing how these things can all come together I don't know if we ever had this moment of like we can do this I think we're crazy in how we operate and like you know we're not safe on entrepreneurs per se we we're definitely it's a risky it was a risky thing to do to start something that had never really existed before this kind of combination of services. And it it felt very innovative. You know, I think in the beginning people were like, Whoa, 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 you're not just like a single service sort of place. Like, Nope, we're mixing it up, you know? And I think there was a point where everybody was like, this is the model and this is what you should stick to. And this is what's, you know, investable and like 
blah, blah, blah. And we just kind of went the complete opposite direction. So it wasn't that we were like, this is the thing that'll make us feel good about doing it. It was more just like, we're going to take a risk. And we think the risk is going to pay off because we're doing something that's just different. And there is no roadmap for it. Adam and I are not roadmappy type people. I think now we're trying to learn how to be a little bit more roadmappy. But at the time, it's almost like you had to be a little crazy to do what we did. And I think the reward has, you know, the risk has really paid off. The reward has been there tenfold in how it's been received and, you know, who we get to employ and who we get to spend our time with and who we get, who our customers are and like seeing that positive feedback, you know, all the rewards have been there tenfold. So I'd say it wasn't like one specific moment. It was more so like we were just taking a risk and we just went for it. I think what really set it apart, at least for me, was like this idea that you were trying to make self-care, like democratize self-care almost in a way, because it felt luxurious. And I think self-care has always had this, especially like from our younger generations, it's always had like a luxurious side to it that feels unattainable. What went into that thought process in terms of like taking something that historically hasn't been made for everybody and making it for everybody? Growing up, I always, I actually grew up in Queens, but then Midtown and having lived in like a more like affluent part of Manhattan, you see like all these places that are just like very luxurious. And I was just so, so sick of it. You know, I saw on the other end, my mom, you know, was more affordably priced being that she had a place in Queens and things like that. And I was like, I get it. Rent's expensive depending on where you are, but you could find pockets of New York to make it more attainable to people. So there were ways around formulating this idea of a moderate price point that could hopefully appeal to a much larger audience or like open it up to a new audience that never felt like they were allowed to become a part of this category of lifestyle, which was self-care. It was as simple as being the customer, really, for me. I was that prime demographic. I I couldn't bring myself to splurge on myself like that. And I was like, something's got to be done here. Like, on that end, you know, I also see the value in, in every, like on the staff side, like everyone has to get paid well, you know, livable wages, like all of this stuff. And then I would see it on the other end of like these like shady establishments underpricing and undercutting their staff, but like all this stuff. And I was like, where's the middle ground here? So the middle ground, you know, was the thing that I think appealed to the audience that we have now, which is like women like us that, you know, we're still kind of on our grind. We're, we're, we're hustling to, to really like grow our empires and, and hopefully grow our bank accounts. And, but we still want to take care of ourselves because the only way we can do that, grow our empires and grow our, our incomes and our salaries and all this stuff is by maintaining our health and health being mental health, physical health, all of it. So for those who, uh, we have listeners from all over the globe here, but for those who have never been to Chill House, can you kind of walk us through a visualization of what you get when you walk into your destination? We opened up our first one in the Lower East Side three years ago, and we just opened up our second, which is our flagship location, which is significantly bigger. It's actually two times the size in Soho and like more towards the Soho West area. So I'll walk you through that one because that one's more of like the, the new representation of, I guess, what Chill House will be hopefully in the future. In Soho, beautiful corner, sun-drenched, very lofty. It's actually an old bike shop. So it was kind of this like bare space with racks and bikes. Well, obviously it was empty when we got it, when they turned it in, but like kind of visualizing it from like this lofty place to having a bunch of walls and separations and all that. So you, you walk in, it's this beautiful reception with a neon that says Chill House. 
to the left, we have uh, the cafe and the cafe has, it's more of a health oriented sort of cafe. So we have your typical kind of coffees, lattes and all that stuff, but then you can also get your matches and turmeric lattes. And then we have also our own kind of adaptogenic lattes that we've created in house and some pastries and light things that you can kind of pick on and snack on and avocado toast and stuff like that. And then we have this like awesome kind of stadium seating that we built from scratch and some fun lofty, like movable chic furniture. And then to the right of all of this, we have a little shopping area. So you can kind of check out products that we both use in services and stuff that we carry from some brands that we love from around the country. And then we also have the right of that is our nail area. Our nail area consists of eight tables for manicures and then five chairs for pedicures. So that's kind of like the front part. And then if you were to kind of head into the back past the reception areas, all of our rooms. So we have six rooms in total. One is a double room, so you can get a couple of massage if you like. That's the first time we're able to offer that, which is really fun. And then we have, you know, rooms that I usually either stay massage or facial. They're not really interchangeable because there's there are a lot of products and stuff involved in facials. So we try to stick to just a couple of rooms that are facials and then like a couple of rooms that are massage. Um, and then we just opened up our infrared sauna, which is so sad because it's been like a month and then we had to shut down. So we have an infrared sauna room called Chill Heat now, and that's a communal sauna room that's up to four, comfortably four people. And it has its own shower and it's changing room and it's so cute. It's, it feels very different than anything I've seen out there. And you can book that by the hour with your friends, which is really fun. Nothing makes me happier than hearing this. I know. Just like It's just come it. such a long way. It's so amazing. It, it really has. And that's really the full visual, I'd say, of that space and hopefully what we do moving forward in other spaces when we open. I have wanted to ask you this for a really long time because I am always so curious at multifaceted destinations and what goes into building those spaces and what it means to like outsource portions of your business that you might not have had expertise in while building it. Yeah. And what that means to like hire people that to fill like the void of things that you might not know. It's the hardest part of Chill House, has been the hardest part of Chill House, outside of like learning simple, like build out things that I think were unique to our business too. But oh man, yeah, staffing has been the biggest challenge because it's a foreign language to us, you know, and we had no experience. So for us, it was like, how do we hire to add credibility to our company? And it took a long time to get to a place where we got that kind of respect that was required in order to really like ramp up. Yeah. I don't, I think that's something that people don't talk about a lot is like the fact that in order to like hire the people you want to hire, like it takes a lot of time. You have to build a rapport with people and build a reputation. Exactly. And we didn't have that. And I think I got really comfortable with this idea that we're going to build like a cute brand and people like consumers are probably going to love the brand, but it didn't even cross my mind that people that were doing the services wouldn't really care if we had cute branding or a cute Instagram, you know, it's not the same thing for them. It's like, they just want to know that, you know, they're working for a company that's going to, it is a trustworthy company. They're going to get compensated in time. They have, you know, all these things that they're being taken care of, right? At the end of the day. And I was in the beginning, I felt like so focused on like the brand that I totally messed up the operation side of things. And we, you know, it took us a really long time, like I said, to find our footing there and find the right people to help us run this, you know, from like a physical standpoint, like the GM and the people, you know, that they were referred to. And when we finally did, I think we got we got to a really good place. And, and now I feel like even, you know, as early as like 
a few months ago, we finally have gotten to the right place. Yeah. Is there a learning? Is there a learning from that experience that you feel comfortable sharing? I think just the idea that it's not just one person that's going to save your business. It's, it's, it's multiple people that are going to help it kind of go in the right direction as far as staffing goes. So not only did we have to find the perfect kind of GM, we also had to realize that even within that role, they have their strong suits and they also have their weaknesses when it comes to communicating with certain types of service providers. So it's not like a one size fits all. And it's really hard for one person to be able to speak the language of all of these things that we're offering at Chill House because we're a very complex business. You know, it's not like everyone understands how to operate a cafe. It's not like everyone understands. Yeah, there's an how education to, like, to it. Yeah. And like how to operate a nail salon, how to, op- how to like operate a fun. They all exist as their own independent businesses, but yet somehow we're trying to make it all work within one. So what's been the most helpful for us is actually having department leads. You know, the people that are in the lead position are the ones that are probably the most experienced in their field or have the most years of working with us slash experience working in that particular field, whether that's nails, massage, facial, and they're the ones that the team kind of leans on first right away from like a quick communication standpoint to kind of express any concerns or talk through any like feedback, things like that. And then it kind of trickles up to, you know, our director of stores and then us and things like that. So having that person that they can kind of immediately go to not feel like it's hard to kind of get some sort of anything out there, right? It's a, you know, once you have that many people working for you, it's hard for everyone's like opinions to make it straight to us, right? But if there's like conversation, back and forth conversation that they can have with someone that they know they're being heard and they're able to express themselves, then it's kind of, they feel a lot more heard. And, you know, I think that's definitely helped a ton is having that layer of kind of management. When did you bring Sophia Amoruso on to the team? Because she is a consultant for the business as well. She's our advisor. She's an advisor. advisor. Yeah. Advisor, investor. She reached out to me. The story is actually really funny because I've been such a fangirl of hers. She was like the reason I was like, I fell in love with the idea of owning my own business one day. Honest, it was like having Oprah DM me, you know, at the time, which is so crazy because I feel like she's a friend now. And of course, I still hold her up to those high standards, but it's still so crazy to me because it was that kind of person to me in my life for so long that like I never thought I would have any sort of one-on-one relationship with. I'm the kind of person where, yes, I've like reached out to like a lot of people that I admire and I love and all this stuff, but I don't like to push it too far. I like for things to kind of manifest naturally and organically. So she DMs me. The, the funniest story, I was actually complaining. I shouldn't have done this. It was about maybe a few months into, like eight months into running Chill House. I was still kind of handling a lot of our events and a lot of our small parties and things like that. And I just remember I started complaining about the fact that for some reason we didn't have like a cancellation policy in place. You know, early days, we were like kind of still scrappy getting it all together and someone canceled their like eight person party and I was so pissed because I couldn't charge them and they just like took up space in our books and and then of course you know it's their hard spots to fill sometimes you know somebody books something two weeks out and then they canceled the day before it's really hard to get those books to get filled up and so whatever I was venting and then so I vented and then she dm'd me because 
she like loved that I was like, I don't know. She just felt compelled to DM me in a moment of weakness. It was hilarious. And she's like, I love what you're doing. And I'm like, I'm complaining about a customer. What do you mean you love what I'm doing? And, uh, and yeah, she's like, I love what you're doing. Like, let's chat. I'm interested in, I'm interested in what you're doing. Yeah. So, it kind of forced us to actually put together a business plan, which we hadn't done. Like we'd already we'd done a business plan to get place open, but we hadn't really done a business plan thinking much more ahead of that. We were just kind of like, let's see where this goes. So Sophia is really the reason that we thought bigger. We realized that we had the, the capabilities to really expand what we were doing because of her. Yeah. What are your thoughts on mentorship and how have you helped foster that relationship and nurture it? There's, a lot of pressure for women to to mentor other women. And sure. I think I definitely have felt that pressure and guilt and all that. And you want to do it. You, you want to do it because, you know, you think about the times that you had all these questions that you couldn't quite get the answers to. And, you know, I'm actually lucky where my husband's done so much so I can always turn to him for some questions. But if I didn't have that, where would I go? So you have to also, like, as someone that does have someone to turn to, think about the people that may not have someone to turn to and how, how can you help them the guilt of like not being able to do all the things that you want to do to mentor like women outside of your immediate circle, but like knowing that the biggest immediate people you have to mentor are the people that work for you in some capacity, right? You brought up your husband earlier and I have always had so much admiration for both of you for one being just the best, but also running a business together and working together. I wonder if you'd be open to telling us a little bit about how it's been balancing a romantic and a business relationship. We're just really good at coexisting I don't know we're good at coexisting he's like here with me right now I think the biggest thing is not feeling like judgment I don't know for us you know I think we both respect each other for what we do and I know we both know what each other's weaknesses are but I think the biggest thing that holds the glue together is the fact that we know that there's respect and admiration of the things that we do best that he does best that I do best and respecting that that part of our capabilities. And and that's been the biggest thing. I'd say that the driving force and keeping us together as business partners, like he, we are actually talking about it yesterday. He's like, I'm kind of this lone ranger. He has like multiple businesses with partners and things like that, but he's really good at operating in silo. Whereas like I thrive around people and, and kind of like, you know, bringing my ideas to the table and getting feedback and things like that, where he's always kind of been like, I don't need feedback. I'm just going to do it. (laughs) So it's good to have a business partner I wouldn't say, you know, going into the business with your significant other is a good idea unless you had very different skill sets. Obviously, seems like a very obvious statement, but that's helped us a bunch. But then also being very aligned in our taste, in how we want to operate a business, in how we want to operate as our lives in general, like the kind of lives we want to live and lead, right? You just have to kind of always be open about how you're feeling, checking in with each other, like, you like this? Are you going to be happy if we do this? Like, we're going to go fundraise. Like, do you want this? Is this, do you want this to be your life? And we've had to do that a lot. And for the most part, we're always really aligned. So that's been helpful, but you know, at the end of the day, as entrepreneurs, we have to ask each other, like we have this business together. Do we want this life that this business brings? Looking forward, I'd love to hear your thoughts on your thoughts and mentality on what expansion means to you right now in a retail sense and just the way that you're looking at the hospitality industry as a whole right now, especially amid the coronavirus when things are not very positive. It's gone. I've gone through waves of emotions around, you know, building and growing and all that. I think 
um, we, you know, we've talked about the possibility of not growing as fast, but not like necessarily sitting still because we can't sit still. We have to adapt and we have to make the revenue that we've always made. That's our goal, right? So just kind of acclimating back to that, to where we were, like, which is crazy to say, a month ago. So funny how quickly things change in a month. But yeah, we just want to get back to the place where we were about a month and a half ago, two months ago, which is like exactly where we've been actually been like trying to get to for the past three years, which is so messed up. Like we've been building for the past three years just to get to this point that we were at right before this whole thing happened. We were feeling really, really, really good. And then all this, and you know, you feel attacked, but you can't. And I've, I've like stopped kind of feeling sorry for myself. I've had to be very introspective about everything and then just think more like positively throughout everything. And then think about how to just be more scrappy or not even scrappy, just like valuable to everything. One of the things we're thinking about, I guess, from like a short-term perspective is just kind of how to make sure that everybody's safe within our space, our employees and, you know, clients. What does that look like? You know, what is our capacity going to look like? What is, what are our services look like? What, what will people be wearing, not wearing, like operationally? How does that all look? Right. What happens if someone gets sick? Do we have to shut down again? And again, until there's a vaccine, no one should get too comfortable. Not even us. Totally. No one. No one. And so we're ready for that. Our mentality is ready for that. And so because we're already kind of in that mental state, we're able to start thinking operationally about what that looks like within the retail space, but then also like long-term-ish, you know, what are the psychological effects that this is now taking on consumers? Are they now like more willing to just do some things for themselves at home? Like, are they more willing to do their own nails? Are they more willing to do this? Hopefully consumers to get too comfortable with the idea of doing everything themselves. I think service providers have a place, you know, they, they need us and we need them by all means, like spaces can't go anywhere and services can't go anywhere. And I think self-care in general is going to be more important now than ever. So luckily we're also in an industry that allows us to continue pushing our message forward in the time like today more than ever. It's important to continue that message. So I know that we can go on the Chill Times and buy product and support you guys that way. Are there any other ways that we should be supporting Chill House right now? We do have e-com and we curate some pretty badass things. So definitely check that out. I, I'm all about the mindset. Like, I don't want to pressure anybody to, to support us if they can't. You know, I think comments go a long way. Likes go a long way. Sharing something. doing We just did quarantine bingo. Like, fill that out and share it, you know engage with us in some way, shape or form and, and hopefully find some peace while doing it. And I think that's, that's more than enough. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm sending you love. I miss you. I can't wait to Thank see you, you eventually and come I to Chill you House. Too. You're in LA, right? Yeah. Oh. Here until further notice. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.